Welcome, everyone. This is episode 21 yeah. of Room of Requirement, our podcast dedicated to resilience and reason in the time of Trump. I am one of your co-hosts, Kamala Shrao. <laughs> I am Miracle Jones. And with us today, we have a special guest. Uh, Eric the He's Canadian. Eric, Eric, Eric the Coward. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Eric, no last name. <laughs> My very good friend, Eric. <laughs> Well, I'm delighted has come to join us in his uh, native Jackson Heights in some ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're old Jackson oh. Heights, right? Like from- yeah. You, Eric, yeah, you lived here for a while, right? I lived in this very room in which your podcast is now recorded. <laughs> I know, it's so amazing. <laughs> it's like an old nearly, <laughs> nearly 20 years ago. Ah, Jesus Christ. 20 ter- years ago. Terrifying statistic. Well, you were in college, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. 20 yeah. years ago. So you were young. Yeah. Eric is a giant, handsome Canadian <laughs> artist. Uh, I thought we're not supposed to give him any identifying characteristics. Um, so appropriately, um, I am your first real Trump supporter. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll get into politics in a <laughs> We gotta make people like oh, you right. first. <laughs> we gotta get, we'll get into politics in a second. Uh, okay. tell us, so you you live in New York still, though, right? Yeah, uh, you were you're born in Canada, and you came at some point. Born in Canada, moved here for college. New York is like Alcatraz; you can't leave once you're. Yeah, I really think so. Yeah, it's it's really hard to swim across that water. It's like all bad people live here, so if you're like bad, then you're just gonna like like it. I'm a terrible person. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I really, I really found my. (laughs) 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 I I found my my people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you're an artist, right? Yeah. Uh, What kind of art do you do? I do uh, I do concept art okay. for movies and television. Oh, okay, that's cool. like it can't be under sold how good of an artist you are. Like you're a really really good artist. You're know, like fucking fantastic. Well, that's that's I appreciate that. It's very nice of you to say. I, I think I'm like solidly in like the B level of like working professional film artist. So it's like I can name. You know, I can easily name twenty guys that are, I think, are better, like the A level, that are way better than me. And then there's probably a hundred that I don't know about. And then, you know, but within like the, the like next tier down, like I'm on the. Because you you're very like suspicious of artists. <laughs> oh, in general, <laughs> art is yeah. a huge racket. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I am like I'm like a solid like. Like immigrant class, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. beat the the artists out of us, right, children. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I, I I am too. Eric's so good. Like people will give him money to do whatever he wants. That's cool. Yeah, which is it's the kind of thing like it's cheaper to like pay Eric to like make your movie happen in his head than it is to like, shoot, <laughs> like uh, I guess like you know first a first draft right, to just. Yeah, just wing it and then find out that <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, I my whole my skepticism about art, just to defend myself for a second, isn't like the one percent that's really good. It's yeah. the ninety nine percent that you run into. You just it's other utter crap. Yeah. Well, and I've lived in New York. For, yeah, I, I get oh, exposed yeah. to a when, lot of art, and I'm like, oh. When you when you say crap, do you mean like? Like stuff you see in like a gallery or museum that doesn't make sense, or do you mean just like low quality like low quality hack, hack work? That, like, like low quality hack work that like I think, I, I mean the gallery stuff. I think uh, some of it's great and some of it yeah. is I've 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 flipped up a narrative that I have a story to tell you that is the story you want to hear. Here's some visualization of that dumbass story that I've heard a thousand times. Like that's that that that's a very you know I would say. Pithy and accurate um, 
assessment of most of the most most of the art world at every level. Yeah, for someone who's just like a really like straight guy, I have a lot of I, I, I've been in New York for so long that I have a lot of exposure to art, and I'm like. <laughs> For the most part, I think I'm right, but I think I'm happy to have discovered upon occasion that one percent that is really awesome. That makes it can, not yeah. That makes it a little bit worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's real art, like fine art, as opposed to what I do is like commercial art. Yeah. You know? um, it's like being a, a ghostwriter or a copy editor or something. It's a little bigger than it's better than that because like, ye- I mean, it looks better, but yeah, it's, yeah, that's yeah. functionally you know how I how I am in a market. As opposed to like someone who's like a fine artist, which is what I was trained to do. That's what I went to school for was to be a fine artist, and I realized that I did not have the personality for it, nor that nor did I appreciate it. <laughs> you didn't have but, a sexy sense of self promotion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a it's a weird double life where you work either alone or with a couple of assistants, and you don't really see anybody, and you just like uh, sort of her- hermit and yeah. p- produce work. And then you have to be super social and highly self-promoting and like attend these openings and parties right, and, yeah, yeah. and operate in this scene. And I wasn't good at either of those things. I like to work as part of a team and I'm not great at the schmoozing. But it seems like, I mean, to make a living as a commercial artist is something. Unless you married rich. Did you marry rich? No. Okay, uh, all right then. So, I mean, I mean, you're, you're a success in that way, right? But, yeah. uh, and, but you're a father now. That's true. Yes. yes. How old, uh, is this your first child? This is my first child. How old is he or she? No. She is three months old. Oh wow! So yeah, that's amazing. And congratulations, sir. Thank you. I, I know your and wife did most of the work, but congratulations for you. Thank it you. wasn't that hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was there for all of it. I'm not I'm, I'm not impressed by the whole pregnancy thing or yeah. childbirth, any of it. All right. I mean, I, but, um, I assume no. It's fantastic. We're super delighted. She's that's cool. beautiful. That's great. And uh, yeah. So in terms of like self self care, self you know improvement. <laughs> hey, I'll do the transitions here. So so I guess you more than anyone you have a really demanding schedule um, in terms of being able to balance the job. Also needs a, a newborn infant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you do? Like uh, we talk about a number of things, like how we keep sane, especially in a city like New York. Uh, I don't know if you're like super like obsessed with politics, like I guess we've become. Um, but I mean, all the other things that kind of come at you. I'm have... hugely obsessed with politics. Okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, but yeah, there's a couple. Just recently, I I had like let things go for a little while, like like it sounds like you guys have. But I've just recently started weightlifting again. Yeah. Um, or lifting weights, not weightlifting. Um, Wait, what's the difference? Weightlifting is like that thing they do in the Olympics. Okay. Or okay. CrossFit, where yeah. you like throw that giant bar over yeah, your head. Yeah, yeah. Lifting weights is just like bench yeah. pressing and yeah. stuff. Um, so I started doing that again, which is really good for yeah. your psyche, even more than. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I started doing it a couple years ago, and. Um, and it just like really improved my life a huge amount, and yeah. then I quit for about a year because I don't know why. Well, I I think especially I think one of the things about being a new parent is that you it's really hard. Like the kid is the priority, and yeah. everything else tends to fall apart. So you have to really it's really hard to carve out that time. 
definitely the making the just internal commitment to go back to doing it three mm-hmm. times a week. Yeah. This time was like a conversation with my li- what my wife. Yeah. Whereas last time it was just like I'm gonna start. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna start going to the gym. <laughs> this time I was like, sweetheart, <laughs> on this day, this day, and this day, I need you know these two extra hours. Yeah. Um, um, which is good. It raises the stakes for like every choice you make. Uh, I did. I just I found one next to the uh, next to the studio that I'm working in. Oh, yeah. oh, Both of you guys. I don't know if you work out or lift weights, but um, if you don't or you want to start the the book, starting strength is fantastic. Starting strength. Ah. Um, yeah. It's really really good. And or there's a book, Power to the People, which is like the <laughs> Russian first <laughs> by Pavel Satsulin. Which is also a fantastic book on like sort of strength training as opposed to bodybuilding and like you know. No, that's that's cool. Um, the the thing that happened to me, I did not. I don't look like I lift weights. Yeah. I didn't get swole or buff or anything like that. But all my back pain went away. <laughs> all my hand pain went away. I get yeah. you know, like pain in my hands from working. That went away almost instantly. Um, I just felt like five years younger within a couple months so I don't, you're younger than me but if you're of an age where you're starting to like feel creaky in the morning um, yeah, I would say for me like it was a combination of doing like yoga and weights actually more because I, I, I run a, I used to run fair amount I, I still run but like definitely like certain back pain and stuff like that like I can't wait to like do certain certain exercises like chest press and stuff like that I yeah. can hear it crack into position right like when I do weights um but yeah, I never, I never thought about using a book. When uh, my wife has a, she will go to a trainer every so yeah. often, and so she'll always be like, "You should go work out. You need a personal trainer," which is her way of saying, "I'm getting fat and ugly." <laughs> uh, and then like, uh, and so I'll go and uh, and yeah, we had a trainer for a while. We were actually at David Barton, and so mm-hmm. it's kind of an amazing experience. Um, but David Barton closed. Um, they went to through my, I guess they expanded too quickly through. <laughs> Is at some point bought the limelight, which is a kiss of death in oh, any really? business. But, like, <laughs> you should never buy, <laughs> never buy, buy the, the limelight. Light. No matter what you are, never buy the limelight. Um, New York, whole, free New York like, advice to you. Whole, whole Foods could buy the limelight. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. The whole, entire empire would just collapse. Right, right, right. right. It's, just a sucking hole. it's a sucking hole of capitalism. Um, all right, anything else? I, how's, I, I guess we haven't talked for a little bit. How's your week been? Not bad. Just see, yeah, I'm working a lot. I'm yeah. down to like... I'm working on burning and so I'm down to like the last 50,000 words so I'm kind of oh like, shit seriously yeah so I've written like 125,000 or whatever so wow. I'm just down to the end of it I'm gonna finish by the end of the year but so that means I'm like that's I'm working on this one book like every day and it's it's coming I can see the end of it it's yeah. like I know it, how it's gonna end I know it's gonna be done soon so it feels like a weird like sadness but also like I'm glad it's gonna be done and it's like so that's it's kind of sucked me into it. that's where all my free time's on yeah, yeah, but uh, so that's it's good. That's yeah. good for me. But uh, and Eric, how have you been? I know I haven't talked to you forever, so um, I've I've been good. Yeah. I've been I've just been working and taking care of the baby, and that's the entirety of my yeah. existence. So your right cycle's now. like boom and bust, right? So like you're on a project, and then you like do yeah. that like pretty much all day long, right? Like and like and then like you have lots of free time, right? Basically, yeah. Does that ever like? Does that do you like that? Do you prefer like to live like that, or would you do you rather have like a steadier thing? I I'm, I always feel uncomfortable and nervous when I'm not working. Yeah. So I prefer to just always be working, 
but I think it's good for me to have those like force breaks. Force breaks. A, it, it's an opportunity to like up my skill set, which I can't really do while I'm working. So I basically, whenever I whenever I'm off, I will make myself like take an online class or something so that I, you know, um, like getting better at my job because right. there's always younger, better people coming yeah. in that want to steal your job. Yeah. Okay. Um, continually losing your job is like sort of an inoculation against the like stress of really losing your job. Right. You know, so it's like if I never am that worried about like finding the next one because, you know, I got fired like three times last year. <laughs> or, you know, I laid off, came to the, you know, I actually got fired recently from a job which hadn't happened before. Um, just because the director didn't like my work. Wow. And that was, I was, I was, that was really stressful. And then I made some calls and like landed another job in like 15 minutes. <laughs> so the stress went away, but I was just still insulted for the rest of the day. Yeah. And, uh, can I ask, uh, what does your wife do? Does she have, uh, right now she just takes care of the kid, okay. but she teaches piano. Okay. All right. Um, but she's, you know, I, I was just wondering if she had like a steady job that helps kind of take over some of that stuff. But it also seems like. No, that, that that's it's. We're a pretty old fat. We're gonna be like an old fashioned, you know, like single earner household. So it's yeah. pretty much on me to like bring. Yeah, that's home stressful then. The money. It's stressful, but I feel like it's a good stress. It's. Yeah, interesting. You know. Yeah, I mean, we're a we're a single family. We're a single uh, income household, and so I think it's stress, but I think it's also. Uh, I wouldn't do it any other way. So like, I mean, I'm much happier for my wife not to work than to work so yeah i don't want her to have to work yeah um i mean she finds something great but i, I think we, yeah we just had that conversation but yeah well I think that's congratulations on yeah. your yeah, kid yeah. oh yeah. i wanted to make a, a suggestion in terms of oh yeah because um, you have been talking about martial arts yeah for a while and i don't know if you're i've started doing no, no, I, i've actually yeah I've, I've started to line it up but yeah um but you should try if you did aikido and liked it you should try sistema which oh. i don't know if you've ever heard of it yeah i have actually it's fantastic okay all right it's again like in for do the you want to tell do you want to explain to for people? the psyche sistema is like a russian version of aikido it's almost like drunken i think it was like yoga for men <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's almost like drunken Aikido where you don't have to remember like the moves. It's not as formal, right? No, it's not nearly it, as formal. It doesn't have supposedly any... Putin trained in Sistema, right? Or and and there's also another. There's a grappling technique. I forget what that's called. That's sambo. Sambo, which yeah. is sort of like the Russian version of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, yeah. That I don't know. That I haven't done. Well, supposedly I've... Putin studied. Sistema in Sam Sambo um, uh -huh. before he went into judo. So yeah, uh, yeah, I believe it because there's a lot of guys over there that did it. But um, but that's in terms of for your psyche and yeah. your just sort of like happiness. Yeah. I've, I've never like seen a martial art that was so sort of like warm. And, oh really? You know, Interesting. Just like enjoyable and like they'll tell you to smile like 50 times that's amazing class, you know they'll be like remember to smile while you're getting punched in the face <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? they'll hit you and then be like smile <laughs> you know? um, there's no bowing there's no formality you just shake hands and then like you know i don't know if i mentioned this podcast but i took uh, when i was in japan i took a i took an aikido class and um the aikido class it was just this guy who was teaching it um and he owned a bar so the dojo 
was the bar. Um, and so, or the kitchen of the bar. So, like, you would, so literally he would throw mats down on the, um, uh, around what would be the bar later on, but in the middle of the day, it's like, it's just covered in mats, and, and you can see the kitchen go on, and, like, and, like, you know, you try not to, like, tumble into the, like, bottles. <laughs> like, it was awesome. I would love to just be there, like, for 24 hours. Like, you know, okay, I'm done with the keto, now I'm gonna go drink yeah. with this guy. That kind of casualness is pretty much what a systemic class is like. It's a, <laughs> That's awesome. Comp- Anything else in terms of just, like, general, like, intros, checking in? Nah, nah, I guess, uh, yeah, we can, yeah, we can probably move to politics. Yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about bit. politics? Yeah, for sure. All right, so... Mm-hmm. Now we can do political intro. Yeah, yeah. So, so we were talking earlier. We watched the Obama's inauguration together here in Jackson Heights, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were saying you were, you know, a Obama supporter. Friend. I was. A, I was an Obama supporter. And what was your line about being an Obama supporter? <laughs> um, I, I, I voted for Obama. I sent money to his campaign, and I, I've sent money to the campaigns of everyone that has run against Hillary. <laughs> I sent money to Elizabeth Warren's first Senate campaign just because I thought she might be a good counter to Hillary in the future. She's she was profoundly disappointing on that score, but. Um, you know, it was it was a you know an early risk. Sure, sure. Um, so in this in this past election cycle, <laughs> yeah. that would have made therefore made you a. Uh, sure, I thought, like why supporters not? are kind of the wrong word. Maybe like Some enthusiasts. <laughs> I'm a, yeah, supporters isn't the right word yeah, yeah. because there's obviously issues with yeah, yeah, the yeah. man as an actual. But as far as a cultural I'm phenomenon, a huge Trump yeah. fan. Yeah. Enthusiast, <laughs> but there's like, but there's a little bit of irony in that. I mean, you like him as a performance well, space too, as well as a politician. Like, well, if you if if you're sort of familiar with the with his his supporters, his fans, his his entire movement, they're all like that. Yeah, they they are highly ironic yeah. about it. They are highly accepting of his weirdness, his you you know. The strangeness of of him, the hair, the yeah. you know, the uh, the the made up words, the you know, just the the magic of this. Yeah, I think this is one thing that the left improbable. really gets wrong, right? Like, I mean, it's it's not. I mean, it, you're not telling people that Trump is terrible or that he's gosh. I mean, his fans know this. They're not idiots. They they know this, and they have made that calculation that they still like him. And yeah. they're really aware, and maybe they like him for his flaws. Joe Rogan said, like, people like him because he's, he's like a doofus, and they think that's authentic. And Sam Harris sort of, like, in a darker way, described it as, like, the fact that he's, like, the biggest, you know, moron is some sort of... is We're supposed to accept this as some sort of new, you know, level of authenticity, which made, you know, which... Joe Rogan seemed to like and made Sam Harris just furious, <laughs> Ap- apoplectic <laughs> with rage. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think this is, uh, we can talk a lot about in general politics, but do we want to talk a little bit about specific issues? or I can get to that, and actually I have a question for you guys, because sure. I, um, I don't think you've done it really so far, and that's like, Outside of the style, outside of the the affect, like imagine that I'm a stranger from a country where everyone has insane hair, yeah. and we all wear like 
big boxy bad suits and have sure. t- giant ties. Sure. And we and our houses have golden columns everywhere. Sure. Rodney like, Dangerfield, yeah. Yeah. yeah like. <laughs> I like like I'm just, I come from that country and so I don't I'm, like none of the like the style bothers me. Explain like your objections to Trump other than that. Because Oh, other so wait, uh, so other, other than, than his style? No. Yeah, I mean his style is like, I don't, I don't know if we object to his style. I mean, yeah, I other guess, than who he is, like explain uh, the problem. So Trump, as a set of policies, I think is, yeah. the, I think it's almost the exact opposite of where I am on the political spectrum. So where he is, he's to the left. I'm mm-hmm. actually to the right um, on a couple of things like um, free trade. Yeah, free trade. I think. Um, and where he's to the right, I'm, I'm to the left. So to me, he's uh, there are a couple of things maybe we could have a very short conversation about that he wouldn't be interested in. Like, right. I think tax reform is a perfectly good example of that. Um, I'd be curious to say see what he says about infrastructure, because I think those are probably... But other than that, I think literally we flip-flop. So that's so as a, as a set of politics, I think I, um, uh, that's one thing. I also just... I don't love the idea that he is the president because I think his temperament is so poor, and he's and he's not good at making decisions. So if you had changed him out with any generic Republican, I think I would have been happier than that. And I'm not a Republican, so that's right. that's my argument for that. For me, there's a lot of reasons. One, I, I just fundamentally don't believe he's ever read a book. Like I just <laughs> <laughs> like I, I I can't see it. Maybe. Um. I think you're probably <laughs> right about that. <laughs> and I mean, as a writer, that it's, it defends me on a technical and professional. And to me, that's a to me that's a strength. I I came to, or at least he has managed to make that a strength because he's not really that smart. I I, I, I maybe I maybe just I think he actually is probably functionally pretty smart. He's de- he's definitely curious. I don't think he's curious. He's definitely highly capable yeah. in in a certain like he yeah. has he has like an intelligence he has a he has a bunch of skill sets yeah. that are highly developed yeah. sure and that's a good way of putting it I mean how do you yeah but I, I don't, don't know if there's a hierarchy to intelligence that would put him on some spectrum but he's definitely good at what he does I mean, yeah but I, I think he he offends the sort of not just the liberal intelligentsia but like the the old guard sort of Republican yeah. intelligentsia, maybe even more. He intends, he really offends the like, the smart people in Washington that went to Exeter, that, you know, yeah. worked in the Foreign Service, that like, now they're like, work at a think tank and write for foreign affairs and, you know. Right, if you want to hear someone who really hates someone, listen to Corey Shockey, who worked yeah. at Colin Powell, right? Exactly. Republican. These like, very smart, you know, sort of people. And, but there's, if you look at like the history of U.S. presidents, um, and the history of like American politics in general, it's like a big lesson you can take from it is that like like you can be smart and be wrong, and you don't need to be smart to be right. Because I don't think Reagan was that smart, but he was pretty much right about everything. I'll disagree with the Reagan thing, I, I, but I'll agree with your first point. Like I, and I mean that's that goes back to Thucydides, right? You never yeah. trust a never trust an, an intelligent man to rule. Like I mean, it's just I, you have to have some cleverness in politics. Ahead, I'm, I'm cutting you off. Well, by well, what I guess what I mean is my where my criticism is that he's never read a book is that he doesn't seem to have an interest in anybody else's or his own interiority. 
almost to the level where he doesn't believe it exists, right? And no, so therefore, I don't think he does. And so, therefore, a lot of his instincts and responses are just, like, about superficial cruelty and uh, power dynamics on, like, a skin level. Mm-hmm. That That's politics, for sure, and it's very effective in politics. He's almost the perfect right. postmodern politician. Yeah, but I, yeah, I think that's that, what a lot of people are saying. But I find that so... As a character, boring. I get, you know what I mean. Like somebody like that is somebody I'm very familiar with. That's like a, it's, it's kind of a type. It's like, you know what I mean. Like they're yeah. everywhere. You know, like uh, people who are, who I, I guess mistrust their own interiority so much that they don't want you to have access to yours either. So they See, want to keep you kind of rattled so that you're always kind of responding to what they do, and then. You're, you know what I mean? And so that you're there with them. It's, it's a way for them not to be lonely, right? And I don't think I've ever felt less, you know, I've engaged with a person right. at, politically as I do Trump, and I resent that. It's like he wants, he makes you pay attention to him all the time because he's got this, like, sense in which otherwise we're, you know, having our own lives. But that would make, you know, you know what I mean? And so, so that's the thing that bothers me about him. And I, yeah. I recognize that that's, like, part of the revenge that he has you know what I mean like that's part of what he, they want to do they want to make create this like kind of cat like readiness ar- around everybody else to throw them off to troll you know to he is people off their game but it, he's, he's, to me he's the greatest living <laughs> troll the problem I think with him is that he also gets trolled pretty easily he yeah, does get trolled yeah, really yeah. easily I that's think, yeah. he has a very thin skin and it's his you know if he, everyone has to have an Achilles heel yeah but you know Simply, Putin's a far better troll than Trump is. Yes, Putin he is, and yeah. he's a better politician. Yeah. I, I generally, so there are things that I think the left exaggerates about Trump, yeah. like in terms of like what he can do. I do worry about how Trump ha- will handle a crisis. Like that's mm-hmm. something that I do think is a legitimate worry. Like we can talk about having sort of the adults in the room, but I think that's to me, you don't you work for Trump. If Trump says something, you have to execute that policy, and I don't think... See, that I'm not worried about at all. In fact, I think he'll be much better at that than, you know, than Hillary would have been. Oh, explain that. Oh, well, she's terrible in a crisis. There's actual record of her. She's just completely falls apart under... In the Benghazi thing, whatever, like, without even getting into conspiracy theory, it's just on the record that she just, like, went to sleep. She didn't take the, like... 3 a.m. phone call that she always talked about when she was running. She just was like, uh, don't. Right, okay, so. And then the election night, she didn't come out and, like, concede because there's fairly credible reports that she was just, like, drunk and screaming, crying and despondent and couldn't couldn't be put together enough to be put in public. <laughs> so they had to send John Podesta out, you know, and this path- really shameful, pathetic display. You know, no, that's never happened that a, a losing presidential candidate didn't come out and make a speech. So let's say Hillary was terrible. Yeah. Are you saying that Trump isn't, because they can both occupy that space. Are you saying that right. Trump is, won't be terrible? Um, I, n- not for that reason, but I actually, th- my suspicion is that he'll, he is enough of a delegator that in, in something like a military crisis, He'll just say, Mattis, what should we do? Do the thing you said. Mm, and in a, you know, in a diplomatic crisis, he'll, you know, defer to the Secretary of State. He seems to be, I don't think he's, a, he's, a, he's not a micromanager in that sense. And my, my read on him is that, that 
not being curious, um, like you said, can sort of manifest as trusting the people under him to just deal with stuff. So you're, I think you're reading into Trump who Reagan was, right? Like, that's different, right? Like, I, And that's why I'm not... I might be. Right, so like, Reagan was like, okay, I'm not... He knew that he wasn't the brightest bulb in the drawer, right? And so, yeah. like, but he was good at kind of coordinating who he needed. And he did have a, a, a very, very kind of simple vision, right? Of, like, mm-hmm. what he wanted to do, and that was that, right? Um, so that, to me, like... There's also clear threats and enemies during the 80s, which there aren't now, right? So what yeah, a crisis yeah. looked like in 1985 is yeah. way different than what a crisis looks like in 2017. Yeah. But uh, the crisis was much, was a was much more severe. I mean, not only were the threats clear, they were an order of magnitude more real and yeah. pressing. Like, it was, they were existential, whereas now the threats are largely theatrical. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Um, so that, that's my only thing. So I think that Donald Trump doesn't, he will delegate until the point where someone else comes into the room and says, oh, that's a bad decision. That's going to make you look bad. And then he'd be like, oh, that's going to make me look bad. I'm going to, like, rescind what I just said. So I think he's... Yes, that, he definitely I think, will do that. I think that narcissism is bad. He, I think... He is, a hu- he is a huge narcissist, but I don't think there's ever been a politician that wasn't. Yes. I don't think... I think... I just think it's more overt with him. I think it's only with him. That's a problem. I don't. I don't know if there's much more to him other than that. Oh, like that. Self- that's that's his entire personality. Yeah, that's just a narcissism. Everyone's a nar- and Obama was a narcissist. Hillary's and all of them, you know, Bill Clinton and classic narcissist. Whatever. All of them are. But I'm not right about that. Yeah, but I I don't know. I don't read that there's that much more. And I, and the way that he makes decisions, at least at this level, if it's it, he's out of his depth, and I don't, and I, I feel like that process worries me. That's that's what I'm. Yeah. Liking him or not liking him or responding to him, he he is, I think, representative of America in this time period. Like, I think he has captured something about how we view ourselves. He is, like, emblematic of brand America right now. Uh, And and I think that's what bothers me more than anything. I think. So, yeah, I'll go go a little further. So, I think, in some ways, I I really. I struggle with this, right? So, I'm I'm, I'm I'm more conservative than you are, I think. Um, and, and in general, like I, I'll, I'll, what, 30%, 35% conservative, 65% liberal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's some values that I think are pretty conservative. But to me, like, part of the way that Trump, and I think a lot of the people who support Trump comes out, is they're really, they're fundamentally anti-immigrant. And I think the way that, uh, and that to me, there's no way not to take that personally, and I can be very rational about that. Right. But like, to me, like, it's not, an, like, anti-immigrant it's anti this kind of immigrant this kind of brown immigrant right so that um that's i don't think i i i really do try to temper it and like i try and like so like i like we can talk about immigration maybe in a couple minutes but like Mm -hmm. i think there's some reasonable things that came out of the trump administration i don't like that movement but it's not that on its face it's not necessarily racist but like i mean you can say you can you can argue that it had a racist impulse but there's no way to prove that but the policy itself is whatever it's it's not the right policy but it's not egregious right? right so that's that's my argument i it's it's just that like one of the, i think one of the key things that he one of the key things that trump represents is uh like you said like mm. uh, fuck you to the liberal establishment and kind of a hey we don't want immigrants and right? conservative establishment not just liberal yeah, yeah sorry yeah, the, yeah. Uh, fuck you to the establishment and then we don't want immigrants we especially don't want uh, brown immigrants, and you can couch that in saying, like, I think 
and so they'll put up arguments about like, well, look at these bad people. But I think it's sort of losing that fact that that those bad people are one percent of a one percent, right? Like, and, right. and and so my experience, it's hard not to take it personally. I yeah. think that they're they're convinced that that these people, these type of, of people, are evil, and I fundamentally am not. And it's hard for me not to be like, oh, wait, what does that mean about? Uh, people I knew, you know, obviously my own people, um, and that's that. That's something I, I for all the theatrics of mm-hmm. Trump, this is something I like. Okay, well, that's where I draw the line. I think you might be being uncharitable. Okay. In that assessment of at least some of those people. Oh, I wouldn't say all of them. That, that's or, yeah. or even most of them. Or if you want to characterize a movement or a mm-hmm. generality or like a population, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, there's definitely an anti-immigrant um, kind of or or a reaction to like to the the sort of scale of recent immigration that's sure. been changing you know the country fairly rapidly mm-hmm. and in a way that one one thing that happens with rapid large-scale immigration is it makes the people that are already in any country feel out of control. You're seeing that in Europe right now to sure. a large degree with you know people in places like England and Germany who... Or Sweden. Or Sweden. If you ask those same people, you know, like, if you ask them three years ago, like, are you pro-immigration? They would say, like, absolutely, you know, mm-hmm. we are very welcoming, you know, we immigration is great for the country. And if you ask the exact same people now, they'd say, like, well, it really has gotten different around here very quickly. And did, or did those people become racist when they weren't before, or did they just yeah you know. so i so i'll like i don't think I, I don't i didn't toss around the word racist i think that they're but they are anti-immigrant right so like right. i mean you will argue i mean i think we'll both agree that like people have become definitely much more skeptical skeptical yeah. about I- immigration to a way that i think they're much more convenient this is just a mindset that anyone has like you know in general if you don't know a group very well you right. let like one or two incidents stand in for that group, right? And mm-hmm. so that's generally that. So that does, uh, like violent, uh, uh, illegal immigrants, do they stand in for the group, right? right? Are, are they representative of the whole, or are they, are they a minority within a minority? So that's something that I think if you are, the, it's more of a, uh, a Rorschach test. Like if you're right. anti-immigrant, you're going to see them as being indicative of something. Mm-hmm. Where, and as if you're pro-immigrant, or if you're, uh, you're more on the liberal side, you're going to say like, okay, well, they're, they're not. They're anomalous. They're not. They're not representative of the whole. And yeah. the truth lies somewhere in between, right? So, well, one, one I, of the I would go further. I would say, sorry to cut you off, yeah, but I would no say problem. part of America's national security advantage over the past fifty years or so has been its characteristic kind of pro-immigrant status. And one of the things that bothers me is if we're going to be losing that or ceding it, or uh, you know, making it known that we are no longer in favor of this particular. I guess, like, ideology, we're going to lose that national security advantage and quickly because we will have, we already have very f- far fewer allies. Like, we, we tend to go it alone already. That's been kind of the one thing that's shielded us from a lot of the blowback of our actions has been, we, the, the I guess, non hypocrisy Some of those people were here as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Well, I actually, I want to pivot to the Russia thing yeah. off of that, and then I want to come back to the thing. You okay, said yeah. just because the th- you, you reminded me of a, a thing that I, I've felt is very weird about the current sort of Russia, like, om- it's almost like a moral panic that the, you know, the media and the left has been trying to sort of push this Russia narrative um, that, for the most part, I th- think is 
fairly obviously uh, manufactured and I might be you know t dipping into my tinfoil hat like you know in, the, in a deep way there but um, there's a way that they the media started using the language of Russians that sounded to me like they were saying Martians mm. you know they wouldn't say you know they would say like did the, did people in the Trump campaign meet with Russians <laughs> And they wouldn't say, like, did they meet with Russian agents? They yeah. wouldn't say, did they meet with yeah. people yeah, from yeah, the yeah, Kremlin yeah. or Russian intelligence yeah. operatives? They would just say Russians in the way that people used to say Reds or people would say Mexicans, you know. Or, oh, yes, they'll do, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's 100% correct. That, and, that, yeah. That's right. So, uh, so, I, I, so what happened, I think, at least what happens is that uh, there's a combination of the left has found a perfect way to troll Trump. Uh, the media loves the hysteria. So, like, yeah. I think I think both the left and the right attack the media, but the media follows a hysterical story, right? They're there to, so, like, on the right or the left, they will overcover terrorism, they will overcover Russia, whatever they can get that forces people to continue to click on them. Um, so there's hysteria mm -hmm. bias, so the Russian, the anti-Russian hysteria has fed into, there's, if you want to say that there's a deliberate leftist strategy, I think you're giving too much credit to the left. But they've stumbled upon a strategy that is... I wouldn't say... Actually, I misspoke when I said left, because I think it's a deep state strategy. It's also coming from, you know, the establishment right, as I would say, probably just as much. Um, I think if there's any, like, deep state culprit, it's the foreign intelligence of all of our allies, because they have a vested interest in making sure that Russia does not grow more powerful, you know, right. with our... And, and separate the characteristic alliances that have kept them safe over the past but, 50 years using America as a shield. But so I'd say I, I can't Israeli see, I intelligence, can't see any way that intelligence, British intelligence. I would say a lot of the, the, yeah. the leaks we're getting about Russia's involvement in American policy right now is to keep uh, Russia from taking their place as far as having a seat at the table as far as American foreign policy. But I do think, but just to be honest, so I do think yeah. that there is a threat from Russia. I think Russia is not our friend. I think that the um, there is really no reason to uh, reduce sanctions. I think w over Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll. So in general, I think I would agree with with kind of the deep state foreign policy. Yeah. I think that's a decent foreign policy. I do think that Trump is probably a little. Uh, I mean, Trump is definitely more um, comfortable with someone like Putin than I would want him to be. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I don't know that that's. I don't think that's in U.S. interest. I also think that. Insofar as they that they have already tried to investigate our, they, they started to probe our election. I wouldn't say they hacked it. They probed our election. They're going to come again. I want a very rigorous response to that, and I don't think that that's happening, right? So, in, in a lot of ways, I think sort of the the claims about illegal immigrants voting, mm -hmm. I think that's smoke, so that they don't have to deal with other election issues. It may be my suspicion. Well, here's two things. My suspicion is that. The entire Russian election narrative is manufactured, mm. and and I have no real evidence of that. It just feels like that. The what I get a feeling every time the entire media starts ta starts saying certain words all at the same time on the same day, but there's there hasn't it happened with fake news. There was a day when they all started talking about fake news. Yeah, but there hadn't been any 
evidence of fake news. It's not like well, something that happened. There was that big report about uh, the... So this is also a little bit of a, of a modern technology issue. Yeah, I, think it's, I think that's laziness is what you're responding to. Like yeah, but it's also, but we also, I mean, we literally have algorithms that say, like, what are the words that bring us clickbait? Yeah. And right. so if, and if, and immediately if you see fake news, everyone's going to bring in, they'll get a report almost live that'll mm. say fake news is what's going to bring us in eyeballs and clicks. And mm. so, and so that, that vocabulary, I actually think is shrinking, but I think it's much more of a function of technology. And you'll see this on the right and the left. So you think, you think, you think it's organic yeah. and it's a response. I don't, I don't think so. In these cases, it, it feels astroturfed to me in a very like, um, I, so I think there's a difference between having vocabulary that's the same and talking mm. lines that are the same. So if it's, if it's a vocabulary, I tend to suspic- uh, suspect uh, technology. If it's if it's a talking point, or if, if then I think it, I think you're right. Like that, those are two different things. Um, like like one of the things that you will you used to see actually in uh, in 2008 is when you could tell what the talking points of the Republican National Committee was because Giuliani was saying almost the exact same talking point as someone else. Yeah. And, and in some ways, you could actually just tell that the RNC had better coordination than the DNC at. Uh, I think it was around 2009 because they had mm-hmm. coordinated on one particular point or another. Um, I would uh, we've, we've talked a little bit about how Trump is kind of white OJ, you know, and how I would say <laughs> I would say it's uh, there's almost too much evidence that Russia was involved with this campaign, and so it's confusing because it's like well, this clearly is a, they were like interested in him being president. Well, right? I think Russia probably was involved yeah. in his campaign in some sort of like goofy way. Yeah. But and this is and I think Trump is probably naive about Russia in the same way that I'm naive about Russia. I think Trump probably thinks Russia is great and why are we st- why is there still a That's cold a different war? question. And right? why 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 do we st- why does anybody still care and why do people say Russia in this way that it sounds like you're saying the devil? Yeah, when, I think I think it when, is when Russia is an awesome place full yeah. of great people and it's there you know <laughs> they 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 have great parties and I, excellent vibes. country the country itself is imperialist and you know definitely not i would say entirely benign but the idea that like you could say like russia is not our friend yeah you know but saudi arabia is sure we were disagree but yeah i mean both saudi arabia but they and technically russia. they technically are yeah, like paper, they yeah. they are on paper they are a close, both a close be, ally of ours we've, we've yes used, we've used the I, would not, I would never say that saudi arabia is our friend i would say that they are an ally that I think is a relationship we should really, really think about. It's an an ally I don't agree with, and I think that Russia sees itself as definitely competing in a narrow geographic sphere with the U.S. So I think that they, I would say that even Russia doesn't think of the U.S. as an ally. I think they think of themselves as an enemy, at least in in the narrow geographic sphere. And it's immediate, like, in that borderline of countries that surround it, they definitely would not think of us as... So here's... This gets to my like big yeah. theory. My, my, sure. my, I'm going to put my tinfoil hat fully on. <laughs> Great. I have a huge tinfoil budget. I go through, <laughs> go through a lot of it. Um, my my overall theory is that Trump it was in a way or was trying to collude with Russia, um, and that if you're Trump, which but that goes against your earlier theory that it's com- the, the it's completely manufactured. Yeah, the entire like. Oh, I hope he was colluding with Russia in the yeah. following way. Yeah. Um, if you're Trump and you're coming in and you have de- dealt with Russians before and you've done business in the country, 
and you, but you're a realist about sort of the economics of, you know, the American energy infrastructure, it's immediately clear that America needs an alliance with a dark, evil petrostate to survive. We can't, you know, mm. we can't make our own food. Mm. So, and right, and right now the only one we have is Saudi Arabia. And so if you're Trump and, you've, and you look at Russia and you say, hey, maybe I could pivot. Maybe I could switch it from Saudi Arabia to Russia because Saudi Arabia has been a huge pain in the ass. Uh. They keep sending suicide bombers over here and it's really annoying. Um, and also, all of my enemies in Washington are under, are under the pay of Saudi Arabia. Mm. Um, so let me see if I can pull off this pivot. And even if the pivot doesn't work, if he can make Saudi Arabia buy it, it gives him a much stronger hand with negotiating with them. And I think that's what you saw. Maybe my theory is that that's partly what you saw when he did that initial visit there and sort of, you know, forced them to buy a huge amount of, you know, spend a huge amount of money on yeah. our toys. Yeah, okay, so I... I... I think they're... So I'll, I'll back your theory. I actually think that the... It's not that it, they want to collaborate with a petrostate, right? I think they want to collaborate over Syria. That's that I think is actually true. Well, because Syria is the battleground. Syria is. I actually think that they want to get out of Syria, and they like they would be super happy to be like Russia, take care of Syria for us. We don't want anyone. We don't ever want to deal with this. Don't draw. Don't you know? As long as you don't gas your people, we're gonna like not show. And I think that's what, that's what Trump wants. Yeah, that's what Trump. Uh, wants. Trump that's actually doesn't care if they gas their people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's what Trump wants. So I think the collusion. I think Petrostrait. I. I actually think that there's enough in the U.S. that thinks that they, the U.S. itself can be the next petrostate. It won't be about oil, it'll be about natural gas, but they think they can be the next Saudi Arabia of natural gas. They have enough production at this point. Um, I don't read the Saudi Arabia the same way you do. I think he's happy to be... He feels the same way about Saudi Arabia as he does um, Russia. Like He's like, oh, these are people I feel comfortable with. Because um, they, they're because they're rich and they, they have the same aesthetic for gold and marble. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they also like columns. And <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Marble columns mm-hmm. and gold toilets. Um, but I I think so. I, and again, like I, this goes back to like I think that's the superficiality of his. Like I think if I said that about any one any other leader, I'd be like, oh, I'm I'm short shrifting them. I'm just characterizing. Mm-hmm. Or I'm just characterizing their thinking. But actually, I think he's just a very instinctive guy. And he's like, oh, these guys, these guys seem great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna chummy up with them. I'm gonna be chums with them. In the end, I think he's smarter than that because he'll always try to screw them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I think in some ways, he, who he feels is his natural allies. I think is like guided by some really obvious aesthetics. It probably is, but he is also a business guy, in or at least he's playing a business guy on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and so their natural instinct versus sort of a, someone who's trained in politics and, you know, foreign affairs is to always look for options and make everybody... It's almost like that, you know... Yeah, there's always a getting to yes moment. Yeah, exactly. And so I think he just instinctively looked at Russia and was like, why are they our enemy? Maybe they could be our friend. And there was a, there was a huge amount of vested sort of power structure in Washington that was like, no, no, no. Well, but also we know we're not involved with them in anything. I mean, there's no trade that happens between, you know, if, if we are, it's easy to sanction Russia, you know, there's no, we're not buying any Russian cars or computers, you know, there's, there's, there's very little there that they can offer us. But there's uh, also very little we can actually. 
and, and vice versa too. There's very little we can do to them. Like, right. And you hear so, pe- you hear people on the radio talking about like yeah. Russia really needs to you know feel the consequences. Like yeah. what consequences? What are you talking about? Well, I mean, you know, the oligarchs have their assets in the West. That's yeah. about, that's about as much as we can do as far as touching them. But I think I think it's a, I think I think America has two choices, right? And I think the the collusion narrative has clouded it a little bit because like it's so Russia's made a choice for us in some ways. But right, we have either have a choice to ally kind of materially and spiritually with Russia in isolationism Mm -hmm. two superpowers saying fuck the rest of the world middle fingers out like we abdicate our role as leaders of the world or we can ally with China in the opposite in like world capitalism and like the you know uh, I guess like material growth and domination of all the markets on planet earth like sealing everything up in a nice package I actually wanted to um, uh, because we are a little we're running up against a little bit of a yeah, time yeah, issue. Sure, sure. But yeah. I did want to ask one question. Um, in terms of so one of the things I was thinking about is so let's say let's say Trump there's a lot of pro- there there are a lot of forecasts that Trump isn't gonna survive, something could happen, two thousand eighteen, all of this happens. Yeah. So what happens to Trump burrs, yeah. people who supported Trump who actually believe um, in this let's say well you can see them as either ideologues or, mm-hmm. or fans. Um, what happens to them when Trump goes? Trump is, what, 71, 72 now? Mm-hmm. He doesn't have it in him to be a lifelong autocrat. Like, there's no way. So let's say he, what, at one point or another, Trump is going to have to, uh, he's going to have to see power, uh, ostensibly either to the Democrats or the Republicans. My general feel is actually the Republicans are in no way, shape, or form ready to embrace Trumpism. They're just uh, structurally, politically, philosophically, they just don't know what to do with it. So what happens to this movement? That's the one thing I was thinking about this week. That's an interesting question, and the movement itself is very... is a strange sort of gang of, like, you know, alliances, like, strange bedfellows and weird... um, The other thing that made me sort of a fan of Trump is sort of the is the origins of his sort of supporters and fans. He he really it really grew out of Gamergate. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's he's the Gamergate president to a yeah. certain extent or to a, to a huge extent. And there's there's this entire internet world and religion that's grown up that's all about like trolling and strangeness and you know the the Pepe the Frog yeah, meme yeah, yeah. that is now also Keck <laughs> the <laughs> the the god of laughter that is both ironically, you know, worshipped and actually worshipped at the same time. <laughs> you know, this is a very sort of young, strange, impenetrable, you know, culture when it's compared to like you know standard. You know, they ref- they refer to, you know, they refer to you'll hate this. They refer to you guys as muggles. You know. I, I have a theory, my, my other core theory of Trump is that um, this election was, was a competition between J.K. Rowling magic and yeah. Aleister Crowley magic. It's probably not entirely untrue. And Aleister Crowley magic is just going to win that fight anytime <laughs> because it's, you know, it's so much more powerful. <laughs> um, I One of the things that I think about is, is there's a, a conceit on the left that really... Trump supporters are of a certain age, 
and they are going to, like in 15 years, they're effectively going to age out of the voting population, and we don't have to worry about them in, in five or ten years. I think that's wrong. No, I they're very young. Yeah, they can be very young. They're, they're, they're the Generation Z. They're the, like, the people on Paul, like the, the message board, the image boards. Mm-hmm. They're, like, they're the, like, the deep, the, the uh, uh, is it the dark net? Yeah, sure. You know, yeah. like the, the the like dark corners of the internet, the deep web. Yeah, the deep yeah. web. That's all Trump territory, and um, partly because yeah, I think because they were because they're pissed that they're you know their parents generate. They're pissed at being told that they're you know because basically because they're trolls and he's the ultimate you know he's the troll god. He's the troll god. Um, no, I think there 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 is an an old generation, but I think the the core of his movement is very young, very sort of. Oh, I don't not not anarchist because that's. Yeah. They're not anarchists, but they are anarchic in nature. Yeah, there's so, I, I and we've talked a lot about this. He's a deeply punk president. Like yeah. there's something there's an aesthetic about him and Bannon that is really really punk. It's a it's a fuck you to the establishment. Mm-hmm. How they characterize the establishment, I think, I have some issues with. But like I. I can certainly sympathize with saying "fuck you" to the establishment. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of what happens to those people after Trump, is anybody's guess. It's like, yeah. what do they pick? You know, who? It's if you know, if you said like after what happens to the Gamergate people after they get bored of complaining about video games, which was a ridiculous thing to complain about in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> I never would have guessed. Oh, they they pick a game show host and turn him into the president. Yeah. <laughs> so, what do they do next? Who knows? But it'll you know, it'll be interesting to see. So, yeah, I guess uh, I think politics. So I guess our next section is doubling down on defeat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is generally when we talk about how the left is making sure that it never gains power again. Um, and what screw-ups we've seen in particular for the left. Um, now that it's, I mean, it's always a little hard because it's, it's been actually a pretty quiet week I think for the left. A lot of it is just infighting with the Republican Party. So I don't know. Did you have anything in particular? Yeah, I kind of wanted to ask I guess both of you what you thought of the left's I guess rebranding for the 2018 I guess like cycle, which is the the idea of a better deal. I guess that's their new. Well, yeah, not um, newer deal. Pelosi's, deal. yeah, they're they're back to the they're they're taking I guess aim at the idea of the deal, and uh, there was the the fair deal, the new deal, then the great society, and now they're going and for the better deal. And the art of the deal. The art of the yeah. deal. Yeah. <laughs> this response. Yeah. yeah. That's, you you should never use your opponent's branding in your branding. Well, but they, they, you know, the art of the deal. Yeah, I think reminding, it's, it can be clever. It's right. clever enough. I if, think if he's not able to accomplish anything by 2018, it's the, it's it's the bland cleverness that you come to expect from the Democratic yeah. Party. Like, it's not really clever, yeah. but yeah. it's good enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, you'll get good job. Like, it, it's like a Tracy Flick kind of. S- Stab at humor. If you I, get it. Overachiever. Yeah. If I were running the DNC, my 2018 motto would be weed, women, Wi-Fi. That's it. Weed, women, Wi-Fi. Weed, free, yeah. legalize it. It sounds like you're giving out prostitutes. Women, we need more of them. I know, but I mean, it has double meaning, right? Has double, has double meaning, right? Double meaning. Yeah. We need more women. Right, right. Wi-Fi. It's like rural electrification, right? Like yeah. there should be like all the you know the uh, we should be making sure that you know 
every every town in America has the same level of internet connectivity as every every big city. I'm terrible at fucking slogans. I think they're all terrible. Yeah, but I mean, I I think that would be something that people could. I mean, those those three, uh, I guess, like technocratic things are, are. I mean, you know, making sure women are represented adequately in uh, public office, trying to, like, harness Silicon Valley for the good of rural America as opposed to just elites and cities, and also the legalization of weed, I think, are wedge issues that uh, the Republicans would not be able to effectively counter. Everything else is going to be a fight. Yeah, I don't... So, I think... I think... I don't know if weed is a wedge issue. I think it should be, but I just don't think... I don't think there are enough Democrats who are being like, yeah, we really... I mean, maybe the Democrats we know are like, mm-hmm. yeah, you should really... I think you run on it. I think it's an end... You, end it, you call it an end of prohibition. You, you, you use that oh, as... You use that I don't as think a, it's that powerful an issue yet. I, oh, just, I, think, I think it is. I think that would be really smart. I don't know why they haven't done it yet. Yeah, you tie it to, you tie it to prison reform. I don't know you tie, to, you tie it to economics. Because now, now we have evidence I don't, that, know, I don't I mean, know how that plays. I yeah. mean, add that to the list of things that if Hillary had just done that... Yeah. She would be president right now. Like, there's so many things. If she had just done one easy, simple, you know, thing, you know, because it wasn't like, it wasn't like it wasn't within her grasp um, or within the Democratic Party's grasp. If they just sort of took a a somewhat courageous stand on almost any of these wedge issues, they could take the they could run the table. Um, I want to talk about dumb, doubling down on defeat on the Republican side because they are a mess right now. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. I oh, mean, should we do that instead? Yeah, the, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> this, so you think they're a mess? This, I mean, the the trying to repeal and then failing to repeal Obamacare debacle just makes them look so inept and foolish. And they've been fake repealing Obamacare yeah. for, for, the, for seven years. They would, like, do these, you know, useless bullshit votes to repeal Obamacare. They would all, you know... <laughs> and you... You would have thought that they had a, somewhere in some Republican think tank was a plan for what to replace Obamacare with, other than just change the name to Trump Care and leave it as it is. But apparently, no one's been working on that plan in the entire. You know, well, the plan was Obamacare. I mean, it was Heritage Foundation's plan, right? Like they got it through Obamacare. Happened. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. I, I think that I think Romney Care. It was right. Romney Care. Right. right. I, the modern Republican Party is a little is is loath to admit how conservative Obamacare was because yeah. it was effectively a, a way for Republicans to talk about it. I mean, it goes back actually to the Nixon administration. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Democrats one concession was the public option and Lieberman torpedoed that, so now there's almost no Democratic edge to Obamacare. But yeah, it's not... Yeah. A, and it's... Um, it's not that sort of extreme of a healthcare system. It's yeah, I still don't have healthcare, so it's yeah. clearly not... It's, <laughs> It's, yeah, it's not. When Miracle that, Jones gets healthcare, then we've gone completely, <laughs> we've gone completely it, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't work that well, and it's not that bad in yeah. real life. Yeah. You know, so it's one of those. It's one of those things that the the. To be fair, you're a Canadian socialist. So <laughs> that's true. My my real health insurance is going back to Canada. Yeah, and yeah. I Keep that in my back pocket. <laughs> to, yeah, it's whenever um, whenever my wife is really needs like expensive like uh, I think she has to have a crown filled. There's always a sense of like wait. Can you still get healthcare in Taiwan? I can't remember. Is it worth flying back? There's always that <laughs> almost worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so but just just in general, the Republican Party are 
falling all over themselves to see how badly they can screw up and fail and just look like they don't deserve to have the majority in Congress, which they probably will not get to keep for another, you know, more than... In 2018, they're going to lose the majority because they're such... It'll be, it'll be really close, I think. It, it proves the lie that Mitch McConnell's some great strategist. He's really good at standing up and being an opposition party leader. I think that when it, there's a huge, there's a set and set, or there's at least another set of skills that involves whether or not you can lead a party towards a legislative policy that, in effect, helps your party, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if healthcare wasn't going to pass, the one person who should have known that is Mitch McConnell, and then he should have talked to Paul Ryan, and they should have said, "What can we get to pass? What?" What small token reform of healthcare can we take? We'll be like, this is one shot. We're gonna, we're gonna do. We're at least gonna be able to pass something small, and then we'll continue to revisit this as we go along. They couldn't even do that. They couldn't even pa- pass like a change to, like they couldn't pass a bill that changed nothing. Yeah. Um, you know, I- this is what this is what kind of what goes back to Trump having no respect for interiority because he wasn't able to see the incentives that. Senators have as different from his own agenda, right? What they need, where they want, where they're coming from, and what works yeah. for them. The calculus that each individual senator must make yeah. in order to. And this, I think, is something that uh, this is something that I don't understand. So this is why I think Trump is a bad businessman, right? So like part of being a business, like being in any sort of business environment, yeah. is you're deliberately bland. Like you're flashy enough, but you're mm-hmm. bland because you, in, in the end, want to be able to do a deal. Effectively, whatever Donald you're bland Trump, all the way to your orgy, right? Like Eric yeah. Schmidt. Yeah, yeah, right. Like I mean, basically, like you, what he has done is he's taken off the table 48 senators. There's no way there's maybe one or two senators on the Democratic side that will ever vote for him, yeah. um, and. Um, and so, and and it's weird that he didn't keep the pivot option open to him if he wants to piss off the Republicans. If he, if he's like I'm, I am 100% a Republican. We will do whatever we can for the party. That's great. But if he he, I think there's something in his mind that says he can pivot, but he can't pivot because he's he's locked yeah. that out. Um, so this is where I think, to me, if I were a conservative Republican, I would be pulling my hair out because there's I I, I can't see him as doing anything other than destroying the party. Like I think it's going to be really hard for them to recover from this. Well, I think he somewhat set out to destroy the party. Yeah. Um, I don't think he particularly cares about the party. His followers don't give a shit. Don't give a shit. They don't think of themselves as Republicans. They right. don't. They don't use the. They don't fly the elephant logo. They have a lion logo. They like down to the heraldry. They are not Republicans. Yeah. And I think that he identifies with that core of his movement much more than he identifies with the. He was a, Demo- a lifelong Democrat. Yeah. Um, and it's why the Republicans hate him so much, and um, and are so like furious that he has you know managed to. He's an insurgent. It's the other reason that I love him so much, is that he is on both sides. This ins- we've never had a successful, an insurgent candidate who was successful on this scale. Yeah. Who actually you know there's been insurgent candidates, but they always sort of get to a certain point, and then the machine rolls over them and puts like Biden in office or some. Someone boring like that. Um, Obama was an insurgent candidate in a similar way, but I mean Trump is really out there. Yeah. But in terms of so in terms of the actual Republican Party, they're maybe in a worse position than the Democratic Party. Maybe I think yeah. I mean certainly the polls are, are suggesting something along those lines. 
That's it for doubling yeah, down on defeat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you want to move on to our next section, which is outside the bubble? This is where we like to talk about sources of media uh, information that are outside our liberal elitist bubble. Eric, did you have a couple you want to talk about? I had a couple that are recommendations for you guys. And that's your, awesome. And yeah, listeners. that's exactly what we need. Um, and then a couple that are sort of outside my bubble, like for people who want to dip their toes into like the reasonable end of the kind of anti-left sort of movement. Um, you can start with Dave, like Dave Rubin's show is is a really kind of very reasonable. Who's who's like, Dave Rubin? He's uh he's like he's like an interview show on YouTube. He started out on the Young Turks and then sort of mm. you know was was a he's like a, a sort of very clean cut just like straight seeming gay guy who has like a sort of Larry King style interview show um, and he, he, he interviews people like you know like Milo Yiannopoulos Lawrence Southern but also people like God Saad or or Sam Harris Sam you know, Harris. guys like that he's the reasonable end of the kind of pro free speech not exactly pro Trump because he's he's like too much of a reasonable guy to be anything but <laughs> slightly troubled by Trump but he he understands the kind of like He's pro contumacy. He's pro yeah. like he's pro the the agony of discourse. Yeah, he's he's definitely sort of anti the like what they what he terms the regressive left, which is yeah, all agree. Yeah, I, I <laughs> often said I think that the left can be pretty regressive. Uh, uh, what else you got? Uh, there's in terms of like I've been re- rereading a couple books. Um, uh, one is I don't I don't know if it's any relation and he's if he's any zero relation zero relation, <laughs> relation. but Venkatesh Rao's the Gervais principle is just a fantastic like way to understand political speech and also business like behavior. Can you explain that to us? It's this like business book that he wrote. It was like a series of essays based on The Office, the yeah, TV okay. show The <laughs> Office. Yeah. And he, in it, he introduces this concept called power talk or there's there's this triumvirate of power talk game talk and baby talk um and there's sort of different levels of people in an organization and what languages they speak but power talk is the one that matters it's basically the ability to say two things at the same time Mm -hmm. to have to say you know to speak to the crowd and then have a subtext that you are speaking to very specific people that also understand it's the ability to encode a a second set of you know messages inside of and basically all CEOs can do this all professional politicians can do this most humans most people can't read it and the and the few people that can read it can't write it and if you see anybody who's risen to a level of, of the, you know sociopathic success like like a Trump or a, a Steve Jobs or any you know any of these guys they all are masters at reading and writing power talk and um, and it's just a hilarious book and a really you know a really great way to kind of understand power structures and business. And That's awesome. Trump is a natural power talker. The other guy that I've been listening to a lot is um, is Jordan Peterson. Okay. Um, do you know who he is? No, Why does that name sound familiar? He's the he's a Canadian professor, psychology professor, who became instantly famous for saying that he refused to use non-gendered pronouns <laughs> okay. right. because he thought they were ridiculous and. He sort of, and instantly he became sort of a cause celeb for taking that stand. The thing that's interesting about him is I, I sort of, because I'm Canadian, I sort of read that when it first came out, and I was like, well, yeah, that's kind of obvious, but I also sort of don't care. Yeah. Um, but then he became sort of got more and more famous 
and it turns out he's an he's a brill, he's just a brilliant sort of psychologist and philosopher and speaker, and uh, and has a whole sort of oeuvre that is fairly unre- is pretty much unrelated to that controversy. It's not it's not anti-left, but it's sort of anti definitely anti-socialist um, ethic, and because he sort of you know pushed me into it, I started reach I started reading the Gulag Archipelago by oh, Solzhenitsyn. Yeah. And that's dark, man. Yeah, that's yeah. really, really dark. And uh, you just read the news about Venezuela. If yeah, dubious um, about socialism these days. Yeah. I, I was listen, listening to the podcast a couple weeks ago when you had Jason on. Yeah, and and when he proudly declared himself a Marxist, <laughs> I, I like threw my phone against the. Across, and I was like, come on! Like the idea that people like now today that like liberal leftists in this like comfortable thing comfortable America will declare themselves to be communists and not expect any sort of social cost from that if I said oh yeah I'm a Nazi you know I believe in national socialism you know to be fair Jason is to the far right of the far left (laughs) (laughs) but people people you know the 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 immediate reaction you know if if i said that would be like oh so you're in favor of mass murder then and but but we sort of let starvation we yeah we and starvation we let socialism socialists off the hook so much well this is yeah, it means I, different things. Yeah, so socialism could be because technically, like you have fascism only kind of means the one thing. But yeah, like yeah. I mean, France was it's led by socialists every so often, right? Yeah. So fascism. I think one of the interesting things that I read, I think it was in the National Review, they talk about like the far right's errors are, are thought of as being egregious, whereas the far left's errors are thought of be, as being forgivable, right? Like there's a difference, there's an asymmetry yeah. there. There's something definitely agree with that. And it's it should and and what happens. As a criticism, yeah, as, I think not as a way forward. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think what happens is a lot of the times is that there's something about the rhetoric that is sympathetic in the far left that you forget what those policies actually mean. Um, whereas it's, the rhetoric, I think, is is different on the far right. That, that's not a justification. Yeah. I, think, I think that asymmetry is horrible, and we should all kind of admit that the the far left is full of just kind of murderous, terrible ideas a lot of the time. And people are in it for the same reasons, social cohesion, social gain, like, yeah. uh, you know, just in different places. I think yeah. I think that's what a lot of what people were, you know, like, in big cities, a lot of Trump supporters, people that are around liberal elites a lot. If you're, if you're, the more you're around somebody in Manhattan on a regular basis who is very liberal and makes a lot of money, the more likely you are to be a Trump supporter. Yeah, uh, as far as my outside the bubble, I guess I would encourage everyone to read this uh, very very long essay in the New Yorker called The Future of America is Texas by Lawrence Wright mm. uh, and it's just about the specific uh, sort of uh, politics in Texas right now and what's going on as far as like the right and left of the right yeah, uh, and how uh, I guess the the, it's shaping up down there because it's pretty an anti-Trump state you know it went for Cruz by a wide margin in the primaries and Trump is the first elected Republican to go against Texas to, where Texas has not voted for him in, in the primary there mm-hmm. I think ever uh, and so they, he's, he's a Republican that's been elected without the support of Texas and the way that it's Shaping up is interesting because, uh, of course, like you know, Republicans in Texas are against the wall. Is it because they want the 
they want the wall to be built around Texas. <laughs> right, they want it in the north. <laughs> there's no north. They want it to be the red. They want to be on the Red River, and not the. Yeah, there's some truth to that, but also because Texas is a you know people complain about neoliberals in New York. Uh, Texas is the neoliberal capital of the Western world, right? Like, yeah. it is the most von Mises free market. Let's bring in as many immigrants as we can, and free trade, and yeah. you know, like cash, and and Trump is very much the opposite of that and the republicans in texas fear that he's really hurting their ability to make deals in the world and will yeah. you know ultimately be bad for the economy of america and therefore the economy of Texas. and they also just don't like him on a, a on a personal level i, I think the, the idea of like a, a texas republican is somebody who you know prayed about it all week and then will tell you to your face he's gonna shoot you you know like <laughs> right? Trump, Trump is, a, is a New York Republican so yeah. he'll you know he's, he's, yeah, he's yeah. never prayed in his life and he'll smile and shake your hand yeah, and have yeah. you shot in the back but, right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> which is just stab stab the by, the, by, <laughs> by one of his dumber sons yeah, yeah. so uh, so for them it, it really just like sticks in their craw that this is a, the 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 guy the party has chosen texas likes to think of itself as running the republican party from the from the back seat you know and somebody coming in and a lot of times the front seat but somebody coming in and usurping their powers has made sort of everything up in the air and this guy dan patrick who's lieutenant governor who runs he runs the legislative calendar in texas uh he's seeing a marriage challenge from the left Uh, an actual democrat mike collier Uh, texas has had a, a lot of has a lot of history in uh, having a Republican governor and a Democrat lieutenant governor, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore, you know, unifying and be both being extremely pro Texas and unifying both halves of business in order yeah. to get things done. Uh, Bob Bullock and George W. Bush being the last examples of that. Yeah. Bullock being the first person to support his run for presidency. <laughs> Insanely. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's a good article. I recommend okay. it. Okay. He's a great writer. He wrote, he's a, he's a, uh, Terrorism specialist. He wrote the Looming Tower and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Terror yeah, yeah, okay. and uh, he's also I knew I knew that. He's a, he's a very good writer, so it's, it's very well written. Yeah, let me go briefly. Uh, my my outside the bubble. Uh, I kind of mentioned this before. It's called the Daily Wire or the Real Daily Wire. It's oh. the yeah, it's the online. I guess it's the online newspaper. Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro, run by a Ben so. Shapiro. So. Um, in some ways, I think this is an unfair outside the bubble for me because, in general, I try to put out right sources that I really like on the right. <laughs> and this one, I think, I'm increasingly frustrated. So I'm actually really glad that you're here now, Eric, because um, I really like Ben Shapiro. But I think, in a lot of ways, his the rest of the Real Daily Wire uh, exists as fan service to Ben Shapiro, and it's a lot of like, oh, this is what our brilliant founder said. Um, and at the same time, I also think it's a lot of like baiting like it's a lot of click baiting for uh for the right like it's a lot of like they will definitely run every story of a muslim raping a woman for sure there's no way there's no way that doesn't get covered yeah. or like it just 100 percent that's their coverage or like anti- anytime a, an illegal immigrant kills anyone it's it's front page news mm-hmm. um and to me i find that you really know the end result of that is just going to be if this is america illegal immigrants are going to become cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's another party um so I don't know. I I find it. I I want to like it more than I do. I just find that like I find Ben Shapiro often like with Ben Shapiro gets to be kind of the classy mm-hmm. intellectual and he he makes very recent arguments and in order to pay the bills and and gather the clickbait he allows his like little right monkeys to like like go and like write really kind of 
bad articles about... I, I think that's the case. I also think he's trying to build his own Breitbart. Yeah. And... I mean, he ran Breitbart, bef- you know, for a few yeah, years. Yeah, I think he was before yeah. before he sort of you know left as part of a you know those drama. Yeah, and, and he left, and so he's trying to build his own Breitbart, and that's it's hard. Like, that's a lot of content to put out. Yeah, and you know, they just may not have the like you know the depth of of people. Yeah, to generate you know decent content, and maybe they'll get there eventually. Um, I'm I'm a huge Ben Shapiro fan. He's such an unrepentant square. Yeah. That I just I really enjoy how nerdy he is. Even when I I disagree with him on a lot of, you know, sort of stuff, but even when I disagree with him, his argument is always perfectly reasoned. And it's, yeah, we put I think I, it was on our first podcast. Yeah. He argues I think largely in good faith. I think he can't help being sort of a Breitbart alumni in the sense that yeah. that one of the argument is always that the left is wrong, that mm-hmm. like there is something that that there is a virtue in scoring in like making the liberal leftist elite feel pain or cry, right? The whole leftist tears thing. Yes. And to me, I, I actually do have a lot of sympathy for that because I, you know, went to school and I understand he went. He came from California, which is kind of our whole thing. Like, there are reasons that people like Steve Miller and Ben Shapiro come from California because having grown up in California, surrounded by those idiot liberals yeah. who are so rich, would drive anyone insane. And like, yeah. he really believes the truth lies and nothing the left says. And I, that I disagree with. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, Real Daily Wire. I, I don't know. I still struggle with it. I find myself kind of enraged by it. By like really liking the editor in chief, um, because I think it's yeah. again it goes back to my whole point about I I would have much more sympathy if I feel like you're not targeting a very obvious kind of minority that it's way close to home. I think mm-hmm. both literally. I mean, like figuratively and literally. I think you have to treat it like Breitbart. I think you can only you can't read very much of the content because there's not that much good content. Yeah, they don't, that's fair. They don't have the depth of staff yeah. to, to generate it. Yeah. Um, so there's, prob- there's probably, you know, I, I think you're sort of wasting your eyeballs on a fair amount of it. Yeah. You know. Uh, and I think that's it for Outside the Bubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, do we want to go on thanks to... For the, thanks for the Rex. So yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. And so do we want to go on to Random Shit? Yeah, I think this time we're going to talk a little bit about Game of Thrones. Yeah, so you're a new, new father, so you're saying like Game of Thrones is the one like cultural product you allow yourself right now. It's it's like the only one I've had time for. Yeah, yeah for sure. The new season is in the, you know sort of getting in getting heated up now, and it's in the middle of it. And so far, I'm really disappointed by it. Interesting. Oh, really? And I, yeah, I don't know how much George R. R. Martin is feeding them in the background. He's waiting for them to write it so that he can ma- make the books match up. But or, be think, better, or be better. Or be better. Yeah, I think yeah, maybe that's the, the that's, that's <laughs> the case because there there's a lot of sort of t- what to me is obvious bad TV writing yeah, yeah. where people are doing things that are out of character or just stupid so that like mechanically you know the pieces can be gotten into the right places and people are making bad mistakes that don't make any sense so that they can have problems later and so there can be drama and it's to me it's pretty amateur TV writing compared to, you know, sort of the rigor of the earlier stories that are, you know, based on those novels. Which are based on the uh, War of the Roses. Yeah, yeah. So there's they're a based rigor on the there. So, yeah. Yeah, so there's, so there's a, a historical, <laughs> you know, um, at least, you know, there's a lot of, like, his, history for him to mine. So it's interesting, because, like, uh, from my Twitter feed, I follow a lot of, uh, like, news people who like pop culture, and they all end up being, like, conservative New York Jews I really like them a lot like uh, John Potteretz or Seth Mandel and they all seem to like 
this season's Game of Thrones. So I was actually thinking about going back to it. I'm glad you said what you said because now I'm not going to, and I will have saved those hours for something else. Oh no, it's still fantastic. It's still the best thing on TV. Really? I wouldn't, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't not watch it. Um, Do you watch any of it? Or? So my my relationship with Game of Thrones is yeah. I I think I started reading the books first, mm-hmm. and then I was like, okay, well, let me see what they're doing. And I um, so somewhere I read the first three books. I didn't get through the fourth because I was so annoyed with it. It's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, I was so annoyed with it. Um, and yeah, I, t- you're saying bad TV writing. Game of Thrones is has components of extremely bad novel writing as well. It's yeah, not the, like the, some of the books. Are the fourth and fifth, basically after. Yeah. yeah, they're yeah. really unreadable. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was, I was like, I'm done with this. I watched the, uh, I watched the first season, and I felt like I actually liked. The book better because I thought it, like in some ways the first season felt a little shallower and maybe they were just mm. trying to find their their footing. But again, it goes back to like I know the War of the Roses, so like yeah. I'm like okay, this is why why is this like the best fantasy novel ever? And I, I never quite got an answer for that because I like sci-fi, I like fantasy. Why is this the thing that everyone's like go read this? And it's I mean I appreciate one thing which is like the hero dies. Like I really like that. Like okay you want, like, any other fantasy novel would have had Ned Stark crusade throughout, right? And yeah. he dies. That's great. Um, I also like that magic isn't ex machina, or nor, nor the dragons. Like, they're mm-hmm. not, like, they're not, like, some super, like, way to save any plot device. I like that, but that's just decent craft, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I never was convinced that it was, like, the best story uh, of all time. I think it's complicated. I appreciate that, but I, I've never been able... I haven't gotten into any iteration of Game of Thrones. And I've tried. I really have. Interesting. I to me, it's genius is not just in the fact that like the the hero dies and the sort of the the villains aren't these obvious arch villains, but the it will turn you around so much that you end up rooting, really rooting for the villains that you like the people you hated yeah. in the last book. Now you're you are like really like I'm really rooting for Cersei now. You know? <laughs> I just love the way she tortures people. I think. <laughs> Yeah, it's very admitted. And I, and you, I wouldn't have thought I would be on her. You know, and, but the, you know, just when you think you hate someone, that story, you know, both in the books and the and the TV show, it'll give you, it'll put them up against an even worse threat that's even more awful. Mm. So now you really like that person, and if you have a favorite character, then they'll kill them. Yeah. <laughs> so if there's someone you hate, they'll make you like them. If there's someone you love, they'll kill them. What, yeah, what I like about this series, too, what I think is good about it is precisely what you're saying is it's humanist quality and that the, the kind of overarching moral of it is we need all of human inventiveness, good and evil, in order to to yeah. thwart a superior, you know, an evil that is undead, right? Like, mm-hmm. you can see into the future where everybody's, like, skill set is going to become useful in order to you know, fight off this, like, band of, you know, roaming undead. And anybody whose skill set is not useful is going to be called in this, like, evolutionary war of all against all, right? But by the end of it, you're going to have just the, like, people you would need, you know, your little finger, your, you know what I mean? Like, who would be your ultimate, like... That, and so the human spirit is not good v. evil, it's, like, effectiveness v, like, the void, right? Mm-hmm. Which I, I think is an interesting moral for a fantasy novel and unique, right? Yeah, it's crappiness lies in its bagginess and its and its uh, uh, unoriginality. There's nothing in there that I have never seen before. You know, yeah, it's a pastiche. It's postmodern. It's mm-hmm. and if, to that end, I I, I feel like uh, there's other things that uh, I, I prefer as far as fan, fantasy fiction goes. I have two really main criticisms of the Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. Uh, one 
it's American. It's not English. Like that pisses me off about it more than anything, right? Because it's, they all have to have the accent. Yeah, it's become this crown jewel of like English, like TV and draw. Like every actor in it is, Eng- you know, except for Tyrion, right? Who's from New York. But it's such an American show about like American politics and American values, and it's based on the War of the Roses. But yeah. everybody that is. You know, the entire, like, it's based on, like, football, right? He fucking loves football. So when he, like, it, he, I, I wish I wish they just hadn't made them English at all. It's a fantasy universe. You could have made them. You know, I think, to, is that, do, aren't you required by SAG if you have, if you have a fantasy setting, everyone has to speak in English? Yeah, language. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and pretty much. Is that Screen Actor Kills has come it's down. So it's so weird. It's, it's there's it's no it. reason for everybody to be white, and there's no reason for everybody to be English. Like, yeah. They should have just fucking done whatever they wanted. Yeah, they could have definitely done. Show. They could have definitely done. It didn't have to be as Actually, white. Actually, my, my favorite thing about that show is that everybody's white. <laughs> really? You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't help it. I, I just don't, I don't understand why we, we have to have this, like... Whenever I hear pathetic weird. virtue signaling, I just want to say the opposite. No, no, I'm not. No, I'm serious. I was hoping because you think all whites are assholes and everyone in that show is an asshole. It's definitely true. <laughs> no, makes white people look so terrible. When 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 you make a crack about something being too white, doesn't like a little inside? Don't you just know? Well, mainly that making, you're like such a shell. No, mainly doesn't, making doesn't, it doesn't your like anti-British argument, which is like <laughs> the fact that I don't, I just don't understand and kind of loathe the uh, Anglophilia at, 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 at heart of like. American fantasy dynamic. You understand why everyone loves Downton Abbey so much? Yeah, that I just <laughs> never yeah, understood. Yeah, yeah, and that I mean, I this is this is a product that, that we've you know, and Harry Harry Potter's, uh, you know, got the same. I don't know that that just bothers me, and it just like it, 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 it I see his that actually bothers me much more about Harry Potter than it does Game of Thrones. Right. Game of Thrones, I just sort of accepted as like, oh, it's fine, it's England with dragons. But know. it's written by a guy from awesome. New Jersey, right? Like, so he's, like, he's, he's an English, he's an Anglophile. I don't even know if he is. I think it's like, oh, a, I, totally think it's like I think it's like a horrible, like, I don't know. But anyway, that's, that's one thing that bothers me. The other thing is, uh, I don't, I don't know why they cut out the Tullys so like fully. That was like, uh, an interesting well, counterpoint. Super boring. But that's the point. Like, so they created this world without like, where everybody's kind of a brutal like monster family, right? Uh-huh. That that created like no contrast, right? The Tully family was like this like contrast to everybody else's power dynamics, right? They're like their their sigil is the trout, right? And they like thrive under stability and like order, right? And they're like their motto is like family first or something like that. And they they feature heavily in the books, right? And they, uh, they're, you know, something he kind of dips back into on a regular basis, right? As far as, like, saying what's happening with them and how mm-hmm. they're doing. And I think instead, uh, when, when you have that counterpoint, the books create more drama to them because you see, like, what's been lost. Whereas this world that he's made, that the show kind of presupposes is a pretty, like, horrifying one where no mm-hmm. one, where it's just constant war all the time, which isn't really what's in the books at all. There's been a long period of peace and one presumes it will be again. I don't know. I'm just that just is something that I thought was like bad storytelling. There's, I mean, there's, but with the Tullys, there, there was a fairly big arc in the last season of you know the whole the battle for the for River. They were in it, but they they didn't really feature it. Um, and then in terms of just like what you described, like you know about there's like long periods of peace. It's basically you know 
the most uncinematic you know, <laughs> well, they've done it, words you could ever oh. type. <laughs> what they've done instead is they This show will feature a long period of peace. <laughs> no, no, no. What they've done instead is <laughs> no, 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 no. various cultures, you know, what they've trading. Done and <laughs> no, no, no. What they've done instead is they've sentimentalized the Starks, right? They've made them yeah. like the ultimate family, which is not true in the books, right? The North people have their own like hellish ways, right? They're the ones that bring like you know, torture and sociopathy, right? They're like, you know, they're they're able to make like brutal, horrifying decisions, right? Like that's what the Starks bring, right? The extent to which the Starks are not like that is yeah. is dependent upon the one Tully and their family, right, Caitlin? And I think that's an interesting like dynamic in the books that is is lost in the series, the way that she is, as opposed to the way that the Starks are naturally. I don't know. It's just a criticism from a storytelling. I have to, it's too long since I've read the books for me to really right, know, I, I, know how much I agree with that or disagree. So I'll, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I was going to say, I also think that in some ways, like, it never felt like a Game of Thrones because it always felt like his secret love was the dynamic between Jamie and Tyrion. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, that's, I mean, at least in the books I was reading, like, it's clear, like, all the good lines just get to those guys. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, he just loved writing for them and to no matter what he did to the characters like those it was clear that he was always rooting for them that's right like it doesn't matter who won or lost I mean the person who won the dialogue game was right, either right. Tyrion or Jamie. Yeah. yeah right what was it about Game of Thrones that made you stop watching what was it like that um so I think when I was reading it I, I forget what the sequence was but I thought the book was better than the show yeah. and then I hated the book but like so like the book was better than the show and then at some point the book got really bad so I yeah. just sort of assumed that the show just followed it down no where the no. show so the book was the limiting factor yeah I would say that actually doesn't happen the show no. does a better job of keeping it interesting than the book did like, the, sh- just the show just in most of what was in the book yeah the show fixed a lot of the problems that are in the later books yeah. by either throwing stuff away or compressing it or just making you know things that are incredibly boring, making them into interesting conversations that are uh, you know, where good, the show good, good performances yeah. by really awesome actors, yeah. as opposed to just incredibly boring writing. Right, where the show covered four and five, it yeah. was at its peak. That was yeah, uh, okay, really yeah. So that, at that point, like I was like, I'm done with this. Yeah, series. No, it's really almost worth watching just like to see how much better to they see did. how much better they yeah. they did. Yeah. It's, okay, all right, I, that's I, fair. I was very impressed with with that period of it. It's it's interesting now. I'm. Know, disappointed, but then it was yeah. Now that they're beyond re- it, re- it was really masterful how they um, oh yeah improved on what was there. Yes, I think that's it for random shit. But yeah, thank you, Eric, very much. You're thank welcome. you, Anytime. guys. This was yeah. so fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please come hang out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. And then uh, yeah, I'll, I'll come back sometime. That's, yeah, this was, yeah, yeah. I want to get you and Jason on together and have it out. Yes, <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> Because I love Jason. <laughs> Jason's awesome. But yeah, so thanks everyone for joining us. Um, this has been episode 20 of Room of Requirement. 21. 21, sorry. Yeah. Episode 21 of Room of Requirement. Thanks again to Kevin Carter for producing our outro music. Yeah.